Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Gospel of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray your kingdom come in and through our forgiving one another, just as you have forgiven us in Jesus, to the end that all things may be reconciled unto you and to one another. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A number of weeks ago, Tim described Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as the manifesto of the kingdom. Manifesto, meaning the revealing of what was first unclear but is now breaking out before us. Uh, the kingdom of heaven going IPO, so to speak. In the Sermon on the Mount, we're hearing from Jesus uh, that heaven on earth is um, the upturning of our social order. Blessed are the poor. That heaven is creeping into our relationships, into our attitudes. And our choices around money, around sex, marriage, the words that we say, the way we give, and how we relate to our enemies, how we fast, and how we pray. See, the kingdom of heaven is extraordinarily interested in the ordinary things of our lives, transforming them from the inside out, slowly but surely. Well, last week we heard from Jonathan about prayer. Prayer is heaven, is how heaven is actually breaking through into our world. See, followers of Jesus are taught to pray, our Father, for His kingdom to come, His will be done here as in heaven. Now it can be said that the, this Lord's Prayer that James just read is an even shorter manifesto of the kingdom. See, if you, if you want a summary of what heaven is all about, you can, as it were, you can visit heaven's website, look at their about section, and you will find their mission statement. You'll just be reading the Lord's Prayer. That's what heaven is about. We did a six-week teaching series on the Lord's Prayer three years ago, just as we went into the first COVID lockdown. Those were quite the days. Now, there was a lot to unpack from the Lord's Prayer, but out of the ten lines 
of the prayer, Jesus chose to unpack only one line, the part about forgiveness. In our gospel reading, after Jesus teaches the prayer in verses 14 to 15, he decides to give more commentary and caveat to the line, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Why did Jesus give special focus to this one line? For one, it's the only line in the Lord's Prayer that mentions our only part to play. Everything else in the prayer is God's business. It's God's responsibility. Just read the Lord's Prayer again. We read it every week. The only thing in the prayer that assumes of us and that's in our hands to do is that we have forgiven the sins of others. Now, another reason perhaps why Jesus gave special attention to this line It's because forgiveness is hard to do. Forgiveness is hard to do. See, if the Lord's Prayer is the manifesto of what heaven is about on earth, then one of the ways the kingdom of God has indeed come to us is evidenced by people forgiving other people. Forgiveness is one of the ways heaven is spreading over all the earth. And forgiveness is hard to do. The late Oxford professor C.S. Lewis put it this way, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness means giving up something more for the person who owes you in the first place. See, it's the offender, the one who offended you should be the one to give something back to you. They owe it to you. But forgiving them means you're giving up your right, your entitlement to justice, your power over them, as it were, for their sake. Forgiveness means double your loss. It means double the cost. That's forgiveness on a personal level. It's hard because it's costing you. And then there's on a cultural level, forgiveness is not at all our social impulse. Right? It's perceived as an injustice to forgive an offender. Just from the same quote that C.S. Lewis um, Uh, said, he went on further to say, everyone says forgiveness is such a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. Our current uh, cultural reflex is to be outraged about almost anything deemed offensive, stoked by social media and by mob rule mentality. Barely any room is given for nuance, no space or time allowed to consider the big picture, and we are demanded, sort of an expectation that we have our immediate reaction and judgment on the situation right away. And to forgive is out of the question. Forgiveness on a public social level is also very hard, difficult to pull off. Now, during the Second World War, uh, Corrie Ten Boom and her family, they hid Jews from the Nazis inside their house. They were later found out they were sent to concentration camp in Ravensbrück in Germany. Now, Corrie survived, but her sister and family members died in the camp. Later, after the war in 1947, while Corrie was speaking at a church in Munich, she saw a man walking up the aisle towards her, she recognized the man, and her heart grew cold. The man she recognized was a former guard of the same concentration camp 
where her sister died, where Corey herself suffered horrible indignities. The man had seen her naked many times with so many other prisoners. The man went up to Corey to introduce himself, not knowing that Corey was a prisoner there among thousands in the camp. The man said, thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. See, Corey had been speaking about God's forgiveness in the church that day. The man continued, you mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips, too, that God has forgiven me. Then the man extended his hand to Corey, waiting to hear some words of absolution. And Corey recounted her response in her book. This is what she said. I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. Forgiveness is very hard. But Jesus expects, expects his followers to forgive. See, in verse 14, Jesus says, If you forgive others their sins, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive you. Is Jesus teaching that God only forgives if we forgive others? We need to consider everything that the Bible teaches about forgiveness. And as faithful readers of Scripture, we affirm the church's historic understanding of forgiveness as only through faith in Jesus Christ, and not by works, so that no one can boast. But what Jesus is teaching here is that if we are deep down unforgiving, stubborn and unwilling to forgive, we show ourselves to not having truly accepted or appreciated the forgiveness we freely received from God. It's not that our forgiving causes God to then forgive us, it's that our forgiving others is that fruit, that flower, that blossoms, that's born by the seed planted in us as we believed about the word of God's love and forgiveness to us that we freely received through Him. So then if we are unforgiving of others, we are in fact rejecting God's forgiveness, rejecting His love for us and for others. When Simon Peter asked Jesus... How many times should we forgive people? Jesus answered, not seven times, but 77 times. It's an idiom meaning as many times as we need to forgive them. In other words, as many times as we are wronged by them. And Jesus followed up with a parable. It's a hard one. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a king who settled accounts with his servants. There was one servant who owed the king $100 billion. The servant couldn't pay and begged the king to spare him and his family. Moved with pity, the king canceled his debt of $100 billion and let him go. One day that same servant saw his fellow servant who owed him $150. Servant grabbed him by the throat and began to choke him, demanding what he is owed. His fellow servant begged for mercy, but he threw him into prison until he paid up. The other servants saw this and they were outraged and reported it back to the king. So the king summoned the servant whose debt of $100 billion he canceled and said, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And this is how Jesus finishes the story. In anger, the king handed the servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. These are hard words. Sounds like Jesus is threatening here, right? Hard words. Forgiveness is a seriously serious matter for Jesus. He's so worked up about this. Why is Jesus seemingly so worked up and extra severe about his followers forgiving people? Ultimately, it has something to do with the cross. With the cross. Forgiveness as a moral action, is, it's a virtue for anyone to embody. You don't have to be a Christian to forgive. But if you are a Christian, forgiveness for us inescapably takes on the shape of a cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, uh, Christian forgiveness is cruciform, so to speak. Christian forgiveness draws from the source of the unspeakable cost and the price of the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. So for anyone claiming to follow Jesus, and yet is unwilling to forgive, they are spurning the cross. They're rejecting Jesus' costly sacrifice of his life and body, which made God's forgiveness, in fact, a just possibility. The cross showed God's justice at the present time, so that God might be just and be the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. So if in our unforgiveness, as a Christian, we reject the cross, we reject our only means of forgiveness, and there is nothing left for us except our due penalty, the justice of God. This is why Jesus had severe, severe words against so-called Christians who claim to follow him yet is unforgiving. Now it's important to note what forgiveness is not about. Forgiving someone doesn't make what they did to be right or to be okay. Forgiving someone does not necessarily mean there's reconciliation, that there's restoration, or there's restitution. See, nowadays our culture conflates forgiveness with siding with the oppressor or with the one who is powerful or a way to gaslight the victim. If that's the case, that's not actually forgiveness, it's manipulation. You're gaming the system. And powerful people can do that. Wealthy people can do that. But instead, forgiveness is actually making space 
Forgiveness is making space for the person who did wrong. There is space for you here. There's space for you here with me. It grants them space to make it right. Make amends. Confess. Repent. Be good. And you can be better. We can be better. You can be better. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission of South Africa did exactly that at the tail end of the apartheid era. The commission made space, created space for people's stories to be shared, for truth to be revealed, confessions to be made, for very difficult conversations to be had. And it slowly, it wasn't perfect, it slowly transformed the nation as apartheid perpetrators and victims gathered to hear from each other in the same space, asking for forgiveness for forgiveness to be given. The late Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu sat in one of these meetings and recounted one testimony he heard. Take the Craddock Four, he said, for example. The police ambushed their car, killed them in the most gruesome manner, set their car alight. When at a TRC hearing, the teenage daughter of one of the victims was asked, Would you be able to forgive the people who did this to you and your family? She answered, We would like to forgive, but we would just like to know who to forgive. How fantastic to see this young girl, still human despite all efforts to dehumanize her, choosing to forgive unbelievably, supernaturally. Again, forgiveness doesn't mean we forget about the wrongs or the atrocities. It doesn't mean there are no consequences. Forgiveness just means making space for the wrongdoer, that by God's power they may confess, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness, repent of their ways, and willingly receive what they deserve or offer what is owed. Forgiveness makes space for everyone. For the one who was wronged, for the one who did wrong, together. And that's exactly what God did for each one of us, right now. On the cross, Jesus made space, created space for sinners, for the guilty in his kingdom, for you, for me, even for the one who hurt you. Can you think that possible? The one who wronged you, the person you even now find most difficult to forgive. Can you imagine them having space in the kingdom? Can you imagine Jesus Christ approaching them? What will he say to them? That we may all together receive God's gift of forgiveness by faith to repent and be transformed. That's what heaven is all about on earth. That's what heaven is up to on earth. Back to the story, Corrie ten Boom, she stood there frozen, still with a cold heart towards this man whose outstretched hand remained hanging. Something is missing. But then Corrie recounted, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into my joined hands And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. 
For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. This is what heaven is about on earth. This is how heaven is spreading all over our shattered and divided world. Seeping into the cracks, gluing together those who were far-flung and irreconcilable. As the Apostle Paul wrote in our first reading, As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God is reconciling all things to himself. Reconciling each of us to each other. Reconciling all of creation to itself and to its maker as we together with him make space in this world for heaven to finally touch down in our lives. And we do so by forgiving one another. Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. To the end that all of heaven and earth may become one as you are one with us in your Son through your Holy Spirit. In this we pray, in this we do, to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, our only Savior. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.